Engineering management can be a lonely place. Welcome to Managers Club, where you'll find interviews with top engineering leaders and managers to help and inspire you. Listen to the real-life stories of successful and ambitious engineering leaders who are focused to lead their teams to bigger and better outcomes. This is Managers Club. Good afternoon. Today I have with me Charles Weindorf. Welcome to Managers Club. Charles. Thank you. Charles, could you tell people a little bit about your current role? What do you do now? Yes, I'm currently serving as a senior vice president of technology at a company called Avertra. And we specialize in software for utility companies to bridge that gap between the traditional automation that exists and the personal service that you can provide through portals and mobile applications. So we're bringing those uh, traditional businesses up into the future of technology. Great. I was looking at your background. You have a lot of experience in management. H- how did you get into management originally? Yeah, I think that one of the ways you get into management from the software engineering world is that you're willing to do it. It isn't a very common goal of many software engineers to say, I want to be in charge of people someday. You have a bit of an advantage if you have an interest in that, which I did. So I was invited to try that out about to age 30 after I'd been a technical leader for some time. And I want to say I've served as both people and technical leader since. I consider myself like maybe a master sergeant or a player coach in which I can still get into the trenches when I need to. But hey, the, the most talented folks nowadays are the ones that I'm mentoring and building them up to be the leaders of the future. All right. I know you have a new book coming out. It's on communications. What prompted you to write a book on this topic? Over a number of years, I've been uh, communicating and writing to a large team of IT folks. Uh, at one time, the team spanned about 700 people. And it was very difficult to have any kind of consistent communication with them. So I started writing to them uh, stories, themes, things that we all should work on together and uh, much more efficient than 700 one-on-ones. The thing I would try and do inside of my communication with the entire team is to call out those things that uh, are positive in thought, like the optimistic view of things. I don't like the idea that we, we would ever be caught without a solution. So how do we prepare to avoid those kind of pitfalls? and following the passion of what you like to do. So all those themes came into what became this book. So over time, I was able to accumulate a number of themes and then they crossed 20 different major categories that I placed in the book. And I said, when I'm communicating about optimism, I can communicate in such and such a way. And when I'm communicating about the personalities of engineers. I I take certain approaches that, uh, let's say, ring true to an engineer, and I can always uh, play the old, I was one he is. And so I can can make a connection at that level as well. What are some things that people make mistakes about or misunderstand about speaking with engineers? What are some pitfalls? Yeah, I, I think the, the pitfalls are, are relatively easy, and, and the reason they're easy to fall into is that engineers think a bit differently. Uh, they're very binary people. If you were to ask an engineer, hey, look at that wall over there. What color is the wall? And they'd say, this side of the wall is white. And I'm like, so I'm not going to assume that the other side of the wall is painted at all. And so right away, you started saying, okay, I better be very complete in my thinking when I talk to an engineer. 
because if I allude to things or if I ask for reading between the lines, that's not a core skill for some of folks in engineering. So it's helpful to communicate clearly, but also to use analogies that ring true to an engineer. And uh, a little bit of humor goes a long way. Understanding the fact that, hey, some of these folks are super focused and are head down uh, geniuses. And they love to do great work, but they're less so on the uh, making themselves clearly understood. The other part of the of communication is you got to do some digging. And so if there is something you're not terribly clear on with an engineer, uh, see if you can get their attention and have them go a little bit step-by-step in what they're asking you to do for them. Because I've made that you know, leap of faith or the jump of the conversation beyond uh, true understanding. And that does cause problems and misunderstanding. It's a bit painful, really, to do communication with engineers, especially if you've got the picture in your head, but it doesn't come out quite sharp for the engineers as you're describing. This is great. I was laughing when you said that example about the wall. You know, what this side's painted, but the other we don't know. That's such an answer an engineer would give. So I, I love that. Charles, one of the things I love about your book, I was, I was reading through it, is you just give story after story with examples and examples of these scenarios. And, and I love those. They're very actionable could you share with us, what are some of your favorite stories from the book? A few of your favorite ones. All right. I'll try and pick a, a couple of quicker ones. One that I really enjoy is working with introverted individuals. And there were a plethora uh, of them in my day because we actually, who's going to stay focused for eight hours a day plus and, and do good code? And uh, I was a bit the opposite. I could do that, but I also had the gift of gab. One gentleman and I used to be paired all the time. He was exceptional in code and I could do more of the conceptual speaking and other things in order to bring things together. And, and we were called the pen and teller of our company because uh, just like the pen and teller show, there's one guy doesn't say much and the other guy never shuts up. And that was that guy. So we were also pitcher and catcher on a, a softball team. So we spent a lot of time together. And just to illustrate how great a concentration uh, the folks of the introverted type are and why they're good at this job is uh, this this fellow was unflappable. And uh, we once had a game, and I'll do the short version of this, close game against an undefeated team. And right as we're at a critical point in the game, a dog comes running across the infield. And as this dog's running across the infield, I'm yelling, dog in the infield. The rules of baseball are that if the pitcher has started his windup, he's got to complete it or the other team gets a free base and they had the the go-ahead run at third base. So while everyone's chasing this dog around, he just goes and makes the same motion, throws the ball in there and I I catch it and uh, strike three because the umpire said, no, I didn't give you a timeout. The pitch was in progress, even though it was a dog in the infield. So all sorts of yelling, people arguing, pointing at each other and stuff. And I look over and there's my buddy walking nice and calmly over to the bench and unflappable like he always was. And and I do think that's, uh, that's one of the things when I talk about folks who have that great degree of focus internally is able to do that sort of thing. And uh, another story that I'd give you is I'm very fond of Navy analogies. My old man was a Navy man. And uh, so I was in uh, the Navy too. So that's awesome. Oh, I've seen, I knew I liked you already. And we had uh, the themes of the Navy pop up frequently and, and technology changes fast but sometimes our applications live for many years. So you've got this push me, pull you of uh, high tech, trying to displace old tech, but old tech having incredible value. And uh, the story I like to share with that is look at the Navy. The Navy's great at this. The Navy will trot out an aircraft carrier that was made in the seventies or the eighties. 
And this aircraft carrier is intended to go through three or four waves of modern fighter planes. Well, they start with a very basic jets back when uh, the Nimitz was being designed, and now they're up to the F-35s and other generations of fighters. And there's another generation of fighter already being developed, and very likely every single aircraft carrier that's in service will see those fighters come to service. And that's a theme that I, I use quite a bit to be able to say, hey, look, if that old dependable tech is still serving you and it connects to what you've got, let's keep it. Let's quit trying to replace everything and boil the ocean. And so I use just a, a balance of things that try to illustrate how we should think about things, why we should be optimistic about our jobs in the future, why our personalities are a little different. One chapter I have is about uncommon sense, and it is about a whole bunch of stories about us engineers doing very ridiculous things without knowing it. And it's it, to other people think we're crazy, but really we're just preoccupied. One gentleman walking out the, the door of the business with me, walked all the way out to a parking lot and then stood there and looked around and said, I didn't drive today. Can I have a ride? <laughs> so he had actually thought he was going to find his car there until he realized uh, yeah, he had been so preoccupied with work that he didn't realize he didn't bring his car with him. That's, I, I love to see the humor in things. It's uh, the mistakes we make. We don't make the kind of mistakes that would be in, uh, let's say, the medical profession or, heaven forbid, I'd be an air traffic controller or something important. Because I work in software, I, get, I can have a mulligan once in a while. I can have another chance to do things. And people who like that way of experimentation end up in this uh, job family. It's so interesting, the stuff you mentioned about the Navy, because, well, we could talk a long time about that, but that's cool. Besides communications, what are some of the biggest challenges you face as an engineering leader today? That's a great question. I, even though I'm an old timer now, I, I tended to be drawn to newer technologies and seeing how do they apply to us now? So I love the idea of, hey, okay, I started an assembler and, and basic and COBOL and all that fun. But I was one of the early proponents of low-code applications. Current weapon of choice is Mendix. And the concept seemed very clear to me. And I, I adopt change easily. But I think the biggest challenge I have uh, is that each generation of engineers tends to get into a certain technology that they're great at. And once they get great at it, it's really hard to pry the fingers off. When I was a little kid, I'd get my baseball mitt and I'd go to bed with it. And I'd be hugging my baseball mitt because I love baseball so much. And, and these guys are hugging their compilers and it, it just, Hey guys, you can let them go and, and try something new. And if I try something new, I'm not going to be the most senior guy. I'm not going to have the kind of value I've got today because I'm the guru of X and breaking that mindset to have that great talent refocus on the next great thing is my biggest challenge personally. And it's a two-edged sword because those technologies do tend to last a while. You like good people in your current technologies, but I think that over a long course of a career, and I'm at about 43 years now of doing uh, software professionally, if I'd been doing the same thing the whole time, I'd be a little batty by now. And it really does uh, keep the spice of life to have the learning be part of it and to convince others that learning won't kill them. It's a boost to your career, not an impediment. And uh, hey, you're just as talented now as you were when you were a young one learning whatever tech you learned first. Just start learning a new one and become just as valuable again. And it's giving folks that little nudge is enough to do it sometimes, but it takes time, takes some convincing. And it is what I think a lifeblood of modern IT is to adopt new tech and move there at the appropriate time. That's a really interesting challenge. Yes, because I agree. I think that's one of the great things about our industry, right? It's always changing and you have to have kind of this approach of learning and keeping up to date. It's like literally every six months, the industry changes massively. 
in my opinion. Charles, I'm talking about another thing central to management. What is your approach to hiring? And especially now, a lot of people are in this remote workplace or work from home scenarios. Yeah, hiring has changed a lot in my view. When I was younger, we had an over-attachment to, to let's say, those who could code. And that was the meter for how we all did things. What was the amount of high quality, high performing code accurate to the requirements that you could produce in your work day and your work week? And over time, your code became some very valuable applications and served the business. One individual back when I had started could do a predominant amount of work in an application. So one person's influence over a large app was significant. Now when I'm interviewing, I am actually looking at what elements contribute to the team of talent that you need to produce an application due to the complexity, the layers of technology, the business complexity, and let's say the specialization of the talent. So I have to be able to see not only that, yeah, you can do the logical technical work of of putting an application together, but how are you going to work with my other experts? How are you going to change for the future? So I do know the newer tech will change faster than the older tech. I talk about type A and type B development of technologies. How do I obtain folks who are learners and folks, although introverted individuals who can concentrate long periods of time, certainly very valuable. They also have to have a bit of a balance. I have to be able to talk to my analysts, my QA experts, my architects. I have to understand their viewpoints. It's a little bit less written out black and white and paper today with the agile methodologies. It's more about concepts and application implemented in such a way that I have uh, understood it maybe just beyond the written word and a little bit about what the user experience has to do in motion versus just the plain piece of paper in front of me. So I'm looking for, for the flexibility, team ability, technical knowledge, of course, and what's, what's my way to learn and adapt into the future? This is great. I was talking with someone else and they told me what you're saying about coding. They're like, nowadays, engineers aren't necessarily coding so much. They're assembling stuff. They're building on code that other people have written. And so you're talking about user experience and stuff. It's very interesting because I think a lot of people are still focused a lot on the the coding part. You have a ton of experience in engineering leadership. A lot of people listen to Managers Club. They're new to management or they want to get into it. What would be your advice for managers who are just starting out? Okay. This is a great topic for me because I roughly learned by making about a hundred mistakes a week. And I was really good at it as far as learning from my mistakes. Of course, my bosses would have preferred a few less mistakes along the way. Here are the things I would suggest. As a new manager, or especially even now with a new group of people, I come in and say, hey, look, I don't know your job as well as it's very important to me to let them know, even if I've been in that tech and I actually am pretty sharp at it and I, I know some things, I defer to them as the expert and say, okay, you're my guy and you are going to be telling me what the best way to do things are. I trust you and your skills and I need you to explain to me why your ideas are going to work. And I think the best thing for me as a manager is to defer to their ideas so that I can get the flow of communication coming to me. I think it's a a poor plan to go and be very directive in the IT area. I've, I've been in engineering a lot. But the game's changed a bit. The subtleties are different. And I don't want to tell anyone how to do their jobs at this point. 
Now, the themes of what they must accomplish, their goals, the what it must provide to the company, let's say the non-functional requirements, you're going to have enough memory and enough disk and enough everything to run this work. Okay, I can ask all those questions, but I really want to give my uh, software engineers the freedom to put things together by a standard of their design. And it's important, I think, to then draw out the talent and insights that they might have in their head. As I mentioned, there's, uh, there's quite a few folks that are you know, very bright, maybe a little quiet, and the application that we'll build with me giving all the orders is going to be very average. The application in which we've talked together about this and obtained the best ideas from a broader team are, have a chance at excellence. And so that would be my recommendation. You know, the, is, is to trust your team. You still have the responsibility of judging their performance. And so I come back to quality. If your work is of quality and, a, and you're doing things at a reasonable speed, we're going to be just fine together. Holding the high bar of quality is one of the things they must do. And uh, the theme of teamwork and that we can only win if all these techs work together and we bring them up to speed. That's what I would expect my group. And I'm just very clear about that. I, I like to say, hey, I'm only a high school graduate. <laughs> because colleges didn't teach the computer systems I wanted to work on. So I just went right to work. I was a hobbyist and was right in the workplace. And it's the biggest pain in the neck in the whole company, probably, to try and manage because I had so many ideas and the like. But truth is, I want to see that same energy on those new tech and insights. That group that really knows it, I want to empower them to do their best. And sometimes that's me getting out of the way. That's some great advice. What does it take in your mind to be a great top engineering leader? Okay, there are a couple of themes that I would really point at. One is you have to be able to set your pride aside in some cases. One story from the book, I had come in by chief engineer at the time was someone who, who looked just like Grace Hopper, the, if we're talking about the Navy again, the Admiral who was you know, just brilliant in sciences and she was just, her IQ was out of sight. And I sat there and I'm smiling. One of my first days at work, I'm going to hear from the guru here. And she says, I just want you to know to be prepared. You're not the smartest person in the room. And, and I said, you tell them two minutes with me. But she said, no, I, it's, it's not an insult. He says, I think that the average IQ in this room is over 130. And we have hired some folks, scientific physicists and mathematicians and things that were the talent wasn't coming from the schools in IT. They were coming from other fields. And I said, we've, we've got some really smart people here. You're one of the people who've come in who actually knows computers first and not all this other stuff. And so you're going to have to set your pride aside and say, okay, these are people who are really smart for me to under, have them trust me. I've got to give it some time. And so it's the same thing I would say is that uh, setting pride aside is something that lets an IT leader and, and engineering leader, especially, I hear those insights of folks with experience or those insights of folks who, let's say, had that aha moment or they eureka, I figured something out. I need to be able to listen. So that's one element. The second element is even more gritty or maybe even more military sounding as my old man was, would tell me is just don't give up. Each time we come across, something's going to go. We're trying to build things that uh, no one in our company has built before. We're using technologies that nobody uses in some cases. We have infrastructure that's still being put together and might be a little flighty and we have our own challenges and uh, mistakes we make ourselves. Each of those things are solvable and each of those things should not uh, discourage us or prevent us from doing our best work to recover. And I think there, there are some individuals who will get into this field have might maybe have seen the money and that is a great white collar job to have and but maybe just aren't quite wired for you have to be a little tough and you have to be a little stubborn to be able to say I'm going to beat problem after problem until this thing is working. 
And uh, so I would come with my second skill as encouragement to the team to say, look, we'll work on it together. Don't worry about it. This is normal. And uh, I would love to, to be able to say that there's been some boring days that I could take it a little easy in IT and engineering. But truth is, there's always been something that is going on in a challenging project. And doggone it, if I don't quit, uh, the team won't quit. And uh, if none of us quit, we're going to do just fine. What's your workday like and how do you manage your time, emails, calendar, all the things an engineering leader has to do? Yeah, I, this is where I must admit I'm not the textbook example of a good uh, day organizer. When I was younger, I, I worked a ton of hours and my boss finally said, I'm going to sign you up for time management classes. And I said, okay, great. That sounds like a good idea. See if I can be more efficient with my day. And I ended up getting on three projects that were so crazy they had to cancel my seat at the time management course. So the director of the human resources group, he's right up at my boss's desk yelling at him like, this is the one guy in the company you got to get to this class. <laughs> you keep, oh my. you can't. <laughs> so it, it just, I use that as a humorous way to say, yeah, I've, I've always had a bit of a challenge. I do like to take, it's a people first approach. So the times that I have to have face-to-face or, or Zoom to Zoom, contact with people, that's always first. There's always those list of things that have deadlines, but they're the the emails and paperwork and other things. I set those aside for quieter hours. Maybe a couple of my extra hours are done doing that. So I can free myself up to really focus on the coordination and communication with people because that's the part in the core business hours I cannot miss. What's a personal habit that contributes to your success? Oh, I I think a personal habit uh, that I would recommend is that I just love seeing this, whatever mysterious new technology we have or whatever technical challenge is put in front of us. I love seeing the possibility of the solution and being brought into it working and to benefit the folks who are building these applications for. So I think my excitement in seeing uh, that journey and enjoying the steps along it are, are key to the success. Everybody knows someone uh, who has experienced a, a burn where you have an individual that's, that's, that's great at what they do and just overdone it and they get disillusioned with this particular field. And so it's, if, if you're in a field that burnout is common, that's a warning sign is that we can do too much of a good thing. I must admit, I want to say I, I had a flame out at one point and said, hey, is this really the right job for me? But it was more about the stress of deadlines and less about, uh, at that time, trying to enjoy the journey of automation and technologies. My habit nowadays is to say, hey, we're going to look at at the positives within what we're trying to do. If the chips are down, I'm going to go find help because that's really my role right now. And uh, I really don't want to see charges of mine going, let's say, beyond what is customary in IT and getting to the point where they become disillusioned. So it's keeping the, the... the positive vibe in the job and, and really enjoying what we're doing is my key. I see. Okay. So trying to keep it positive, enjoying it. So try not to burn out and encourage people not to go overboard in a way is what I'm hearing. Yep. Yep. So there's, you've got to have a bit of work life balance in order to enjoy a couple other things too. So I can go and golf poorly and, and have a good time and, and then come back and work. It's, then I'll be glad I'm an engineer again. Nice. Could you share an internet resource, app, or tool that uh, you couldn't live without? Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that if I had not been using Slack before, I, I was uh, 
familiar with it, but I think in terms of the COVID era and the collaboration right now, the variety of things Slack does for me in my day in terms of the connection to my team, the uh, the ad hoc communication, the keeping the history of that combination conversation in such a way that I can refer to it. That's been quite powerful for me to keep track of my larger team and my 100% remote team, which has been the, for an old goat like me who has worked in the same city block with hundreds of individuals, I could get out of my chair and go see any of them. It was a big switch. And I think uh, Slack has been for me a, a great collaboration tool to be able to keep a more personal touch than I thought was possible. Yeah, Slack Slack is great. Do you use any of like the public Slack communities also? I, I am in a couple of those. And as a busybody that I am in technologies, uh, we have some AI groups and some uh, specific technology groups that I love to to go in there and see what the really what the folks are on that leading edge are talking about because uh, those really might let kindle a fire to say some of my top folks ought to look at that. That is uh, exactly where we ought to go. So I think it's important to get that broad uh, impression from technical community on technologies you're interested in. Besides your own book, if you could recommend one book to managers, what would it be and why? Yeah, that, uh, thanks. I, and uh, I do different styles of management to see where I land. There's a book called It's Your Shift. And, uh, it's a Navy book. I know. We're back, we're back to the Navy. I love it. I love that book. And it's filled with what I would call the kind of discipline uh, that you need to reach excellence, but it is a type of discipline that, that isn't something that's heavy-handed or micromanaged, or it's the challenge to the individual to become hey, I'm, I'm going to be part owner of, of this ship and I'm going to do my part and, and I'm going to have that pride and excellence and I'm doing my part. And it's, it's both discipline and encouragement at the same time. And I think, wow, what a, boy, if I could do that, would be fantastic. That's great. That's great. What is your approach to developing members of your team either through mentoring, coaching? What do you do to develop members of your team? Developing members of the team is, it's interesting. We don't have a lot of folks that are, uh, let's say, trapeze artists, high wire act people. They're very methodical, thoughtful, and uh, sometimes lacking in a bit of confidence. So part of the things that I try and do is to give safer opportunities. So let's say I have an individual I think is ready to be a lead of a small team. Let's say four junior engineers, I want them to lead that group in a project. I would probably select a project in which, let's say, others know how it should go and would be at the ready to give uh, recommendations to this individual, but let them go and make a couple mistakes at the same time, but have something that would be plenty of help in order to fix and correct should we, we run into some trouble. And then when I would do assessments of how we are doing with the individual who's taking that risk, taking that step to go to the next level, I really balance the fact of any kind of failures or, hey, you're learning as we go. So in my mind, that's not bad. I'm going to reward the risk taking, and I am going to downplay the minor mistakes of things. Certainly, there, there will be those things as a manager, I have to step in and I have to say, okay, when we're dealing with people, there's certain things we can and cannot do. We're going to work on those together, but my expectations are to follow certain principles in dealing with people. But I try and give the leader freedom as they're, they're getting into the more influential positions. How do you develop your own leadership technique? Because uh, mine's not 100% for everyone, but you will, you'll do well if you could learn a couple of things from me, but you develop your own strengths as well. So part of it is let's give them a safe uh, space to try new things. Let's give them adequate time to do it. So I'll put them on a critical path where they're under fire right away as trying to uh, take their next step. 
And another thing is it's be very transparent, very black and white in expectations. So that when we have an expectation that we really cannot miss or there's uh, no grayscale, we have to do certain things just to be very straight with our engineering team and, and to say, hey, for, for the mentoring purposes, these are things to focus on that you really have to be good at. And if I give them that kind of advice and I give them enough slack to be able to go ahead, try things and make some managed mistakes, the individual then begins to develop their own confidence and uh, their abilities then to take that next step. Charles, you've been really generous with your time and you've shared a lot of really uh, great advice. Thank, thank you so much for coming on to Managers Club. Where can people go to learn more about you or connect with you afterwards? I'd be uh, more than welcome to have uh, folks reach out to me. CharlesWeindorf.com is, I didn't stay up all night thinking up that one. So uh, that is one way to, to get to me. I'd love hearing from folks on LinkedIn. So Charles Weindorf Engineer, I think is my handle on that side of things. For the book site, if you're interested in more of that content, leadingsoftwareengineers.com is the place to go for that. And I also have the small publishing house that I'm using. It's called Mudsocks, M-U-D-S-O-X.com. And uh, that's the name of that silly softball team that we had all those years ago. That is the publishing house where the book will be coming from. All right. Awesome. Thanks again. It was great to have you here. I've had a great time doing this and appreciate what you're doing within the community and the, and the stories and information you're sharing is awesome. Thank you. This is Vidal Graupera. I hope you found this interview valuable. I created Managers Club to help and inspire engineering leaders like you. If you like this interview, please visit the managersclub.com website and subscribe to the newsletter. At managersclub.com, you'll find additional resources, including several books on engineering leadership. We also have a LinkedIn group where you can discuss and connect with other engineering leaders. And finally, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you never miss an episode. See you next time.